Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Tuesday, January 26th, 2021. What's your name? And I want you to think about, do you know why you have the name that you have? What is the significance of your name? Uh, My name is Benjamin, and my parents picked that. It's a biblical name, one of the sons of Jacob, even that we've seen here recently going through the book of Genesis. Um, And so I think they chose it partly because it was a biblical name, but for being honest, they also chose it because it starts with B and it rounded out our family of five, Bruce, Berta, Bobby, Billy, and Ben. And so we think about names today and often they are chosen because they sound cute or we like uh, the sound of that name or many times it's we're passing on a, a family name and we don't often stop to think about what does the name actually mean. Uh, the meaning of my name really had nothing to do with my actual name. Benjamin is Hebrew and it means son of my right hand. And we see Jacob naming his son this. And really we see that Benjamin had somewhat of a favored status as a son. And But we think about names today and often we're not really thinking about what is the literal meaning of this name. When we go back to the Bible, we see that all over the place, that the names that people had really meant a lot about who they were. And today, we're not going to talk about the name of any human or any individual. We're going to talk about the name of God himself. And what does that name mean? Because you better believe it means something. And so as we think about this, we are going to look at Exodus 1 through 3. Exodus 1 through 3. And as we we look at that, we're starting a new book here in the Old Testament, Exodus, where we're going to see the people come out of Egypt. And it starts in chapter one, really by talking about the oppression that Pharaoh brings upon the people of Israel. And we see this great example of the midwives towards the end of the chapter who refuse to go along with this scheme of murdering these Hebrew boys. And we see that God even rewards them. He deals well with them because they feared God and they didn't go along with what the culture wanted. And that's a good reminder for us, even in a world that doesn't regard the life of children, even as we think of the recent anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision and abortion in America, well, God rewards these women for standing against the culture and what they were expected to do because they feared God and honored the lives of these little boys instead of seeing them killed. But then we see ultimately that God hears the prayers of his people and he comes to Moses in chapter 3, through this story of the burning bush. And so we see there God speaking to Moses and God telling Moses his plan of how he is going to bring the people out and how he is going to use Moses. But then Moses starts a series of questions and even gets to a point where some of these become excuses. But he says this in verse 13 of chapter 3. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And so when God gives his name, he says, I am who I am. And even there, it says the Lord in verse 15. And you see, at least in the English Standard Version, when you see Lord there in all capital letters, that means that that's translating Yahweh, this word that is the proper name of God and is connected to this idea, I am who I am. What does that mean? Well, God is saying something that is only true of him. There is no other living being that can say, I am who I am. Because it really points to even God's self-existence, that God needed nothing to create him. God needs nothing to sustain him. He is. And it speaks to his eternity, that he was, he is, and he always will be. And none of us can say that because we are created things. We are dependent in some way or another. But God, he is the only one who is truly independent. He is who he is. And even one of the things that I think we should think of as an implication of that name is really the holiness of God. And that even when we think about the idea of holiness, obviously one of the things that pops into our mind is God's moral perfection. But I think there's more to the idea of holiness than that. Even when we see this idea of holiness, often it has really this uh, feeling of being set apart. And, and that's really what God is saying about himself. He is set apart. He is the only one who can say, I am who I am. And so this should be something that helps us raise our view of God and really understand what we're saying when we say or sing things like there is no one like God. Literally, there is no one like him. He is who he is. He is self-existent. He is self-sustaining. He is eternal and he is unique in that way. And another implication of this idea is he is the God then that can keep his promises. And that's what he's doing here in Exodus. He has told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he will make from them a great nation. And he also told them, hey, you're going to be slaves in a foreign country for 400 years. And now God is keeping his promises. Well, the fact that God is who he is enables him to keep his promises. You and I have to even realize we're kind of limited in that way. We can't even truly make promises that we can guarantee keeping because we're dependent. Even we're dependent for life and we can make a promise about tomorrow that has a very, very high probability that we will be able to do, but we have no way to guarantee that we will live through the night. We don't know what is going to happen to us, but God is. He is who he is. And so therefore he can make promises. Because he is dependent on no one, and when he gives his word, he alone has the true ability to guarantee that he will carry it out. And another thing we see of God, even in this passage, is that he is a God of salvation. And that's a good thing, and we see him 
really showing that to his people, to the nation of Israel here. And we see that throughout the rest of scripture of God working this incredible plan of salvation. But what I want us to realize is that God is the only one that can guarantee that he will carry out that plan. And that's why we want to praise God today as holy, praise God as a promise keeper, praise God for this plan of salvation that he will carry out. Well, another thing, a word that's been coming up a lot, even in our culture um, and in our in the news is this idea of unity. And we think of that, whether it's it's politics or we think about different social issues in our country and people want unity. People want reconciliation. The problem with our culture is many of the of the ideas out there that are in the name of unity or reconciliation don't really end up promoting those things. They're just human ideas, even sinful ideas that just lead to more division and disunity. So where can true unity come from? Well, I think the Bible gives us answers in that true unity can can be found and true healing can be found in Jesus Christ and in the work that he does. We're going to start by seeing that in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8. And here we see that the gospel has come to Samaria. And we saw that yesterday, even with Philip going and preaching. Well, now as things are are happening there, the, the apostles, they send uh, Peter and John down to check out what's going on in Samaria. And this is where we need to stop and even remember that there was incredible tension, cultural and racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. And Peter and John, two Jewish men, go down to check out what is going on in Samaria. And what happens is that they lay their hands and they receive the Holy Spirit. We see God bringing people together through the good news of Jesus Christ, through the preaching of the gospel, and through the Holy Spirit and the work that he does. We also see something we need to be warned about in this passage as Simon offers money really to get this power of giving the Holy Spirit to people. And while that might not be a specific temptation that you face, we all need to check ourselves that sometimes we want something good, right? It was a good thing for the Holy Spirit to come on these these new believers, but sometimes we want a good thing for the wrong reason. And we really want it because we think it'll make people look up to us and we think that maybe this will be enjoyable or put us in a position of power. And we need to check against that impulse in our own hearts. We also see an incredible example of unity in Matthew chapter 9. And what I'm speaking of here is really the salvation of Matthew. Uh, As Jesus calls this tax collector to follow him, and that was another division. The tax collectors and the people, they did not get along. But then we see Jesus... He's sitting at dinner with tax collectors and sinners, and they are reclining with Jesus and his disciples. That God can bring people together through the good news of Jesus Christ and really through repentance. And we need to realize that often when Jesus was described with tax collectors and sinners, 
he was calling them to repentance and many times he was with them as they had repented, as Matthew had left to follow Jesus. And we'll find people with diverse backgrounds, people that have struggled with different things in their past, all united in the body of Christ as we turn from our sin and come to faith in him. And I know personally, it's been amazing just to see the richness of relationships that can come even within a local church, as you have different people that have come from different places physically, different people that have come from different places spiritually and with their backgrounds and what their life was like before Christ. But in Christ, we are one. And so we praise this God who can bring all kinds of different people together in the name of Jesus. Finally, we look at Psalm 17, verses 1 through 7. And again, there's a a prayer for God to listen and to listen to a just cause. And and David clearly in some kind of trouble calling out to God, uh, calling out to him for even vindication, right? That he feels like he is on the right side and God vindicate that. But again, I want you to notice the humility even of his prayer. In verse 3, he says, You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. And there we see even just that commitment to personal integrity that I think all of us should have even in our prayers. That even as we pray for God to do things in our society and to vindicate what is right, we want to be committed. God, I want to do what is right. And even as I'm praying to you, God, I want to be committed right now, God, that I am seeking the right thing. I'm not hiding sin. I'm not holding on to sin. God, I want what is right and what is good. And I am looking to you for that. And we know that God is the place that we should go in these situations because God is the God who calls himself, I am who I am. He is the God that can hear our prayers and he is the God that can do something about it. And so I hope we worship and praise him and lift up our prayers to him today. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.